0: Well, good morning. Exodus chapter 3, please. Exodus 3. About every year and a half to two years, I like to speak on this text. It's a good one for all of us. And the title of this message this morning is, When God Asks the Difficult. You ever had the Lord break into your life and ask for the difficult? It happens, doesn't it? Yeah. Just two verses. I'm going to read them in reverse, actually. Verse 10 first. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Then verse 8, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a large and good land, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's just pray for a minute. Father, we ask that today you would help us to set our hearts and our minds on accomplishing those difficult tasks that you ask of us. And Father, some of these students will be asked to go to the far corners of the earth, perhaps, to preach the gospel, that others might come to know Christ as Savior. And some will be asked to do the same thing within a few miles of home. But Father, remind us that no matter where we are, no matter what we do, sometimes the will of God can be very difficult. And so we pray today that we would set our hearts and our minds to accomplish the tasks and the will of God that you have for us. I want to thank you for the school, for its stand, for its love of the word. Thank you for these students who have come here who are interested and eager to learn the Bible, that they might communicate it to others. And we just pray that everything that is said and done this morning in this chapel will bring honor and glory to you. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we all know the story. Moses, of course, born of Hebrew slaves. And uh, his parents saw the edict of the king, which was to destroy the the boys. And the mother, of course, was not afraid of Pharaoh's command and so decided to put him in a basket, float him down the river. And so he was saved from that genocide simply by floating in probably one of the world's great and most dangerous rivers. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter and uh, raised in the courts of Pharaoh in the uh, very shadow of the man who tried to kill him. That's, isn't that irony? That, God does this stuff. And when you look at the way the Lord does it, it's incredible. Actually, uh, I think the last time I spoke on this passage uh, over in chapter 2, um, it says in verse 6, I find this to be very interesting. I'm just going to put this in as a little sidelight. This is Pharaoh's daughter opening the basket, and it said, when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. You know, God's timing is always perfect, always. I don't think that child was crying just for the sake of crying. I think God must have pushed a button there, because he understands the female heart. When a child cries, you ladies, it's it's like a stampede. Get to the baby and soothe it. The guys are going, let them cry it out, it'll be all right, you know. The Lord is so precise in his timing. Anyway, I don't want to go there today. We know that he grew up to be a powerful man in Egypt. Actually, according to Josephus, he was a general of armies. The Hebrew slave who accused him of killing the Egyptian called him a prince and a judge. And Moses is now becoming aware of who he is and what he is. And as he realizes that he's got this slave issue, which he probably learned from his mother, he becomes a murderer taking the deliverance of this nation into his own hands. You know the rest. Pharaoh is going to do something about it. He flees to the desert, takes a cut in pain, a severe drop in status. Because Egyptians don't like shepherds. You learn that in in the book of Genesis. In fact, it says that every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Moses is nothing more than like our Savior at this point. This is a picture of Christ in a very real sense and the world. He is the great shepherd of the sheep and Egypt is a picture of the world and the world despises Christ. The vast majority of the world that you have been called to minister to will literally step out of this life without Christ. They will not have him. Anyway, Moses is the original, probably we can say it this way, the richest to rags, just like Joseph. His fortunes go up and down. And in the end, as we get into this chapter of chapter 3, we find him sitting on a mountaintop, totally defeated, probably very despondent, very disappointed, very dejected, downtrodden, and all but forgotten by a small handful of people who probably figure, and these are the people back in Egypt, probably figure he's dead. And while he is no doubt resigned to his less than ideal conditions, and this is what you want to know this morning, God breaks into his life. Listen, students, when when things aren't going quite the way you planned, look for God to break in, because he's got something he's trying to teach you. And he's trying to steer you in a certain direction that's not going to kill you, it's good for you. Look closely. And when the storm seems to be the worst, the sun, that's S-O-N, breaks forth in our lives. Now, getting back to verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. Nothing like being sent to the lion's den. (laughs) Notice, it wasn't just Egypt he's going back to. God says, I am sending you to the guy who can put you on the gallows. I am sending you right into the court of Pharaoh. You say, well, that pharaoh was dead and there was another one that took his place. Yeah, but you know, stories endure. You just don't have a prince in Egypt disappear and that's it. People remember this kind of stuff. Down home in the States, we're still telling stories about George Washington. It's been what, 200 and some odd years? We're still telling stories about him chopping down the cherry tree and never telling a lie. People don't forget this kind of stuff. Every morning when I'm home, which lately hasn't been much, been on the road quite a bit, I am asked, uh, well not asked, my wife likes to see the morning news, and, and so I sometimes uh, will put that on, and we like to get the weather, and I know I enjoy listening to it, so we catch up on the developing news. It, it's almost like, in a sense, that Moses is probably saying to himself, Lord, apparently, you know, you've kind of forgotten what happened 40 years ago. You've missed something here, Lord. Obviously Pharaoh knows. I mean, my picture's hanging in the post office. I go back there, it's it's all over. I'm a wanted man. And so to make this demand on Moses, our poor shepherd must be thinking that God is out of touch with his life. Folks, listen to me. God is never out of touch with our lives. Ever. We might be tempted to think that. And Moses is sitting on this mountaintop, probably saying to himself, Wow, you know, is he kidding? He's got to be kidding sending me back there just has got to be the worst possible thing he can do to me I would say to you this morning that no matter what ministry God calls you into there will be times when it will seem absolutely crazy you won't understand what's going on around you there will be difficulties there will be issues that you will have to deal with there will be difficult people You know, ministry would be probably one of the best jobs in the world if it wasn't for people but we have to minister to people And they're difficult. If you go into missions, particularly, there'll be those who are people close to you who will question your motives, even question your sanity. The story is told of one of the sons and heir of the Borden Milk Company. As a student at Yale University, he was already rich beyond anything that most of us can even imagine. One day he was introduced to Jesus Christ, accepted him as his Savior, and... uh, the change was so deep that he made Christ the object of everything in his life. He sought to win the lost, to live the victorious Christian life. He began to start ministries to glorify Christ in every action and word and deed. And in time he felt led by the Holy Spirit to become a missionary to the Muslims. He turned his back on the opportunity to be even more successful with the company, probably even more rich. But when he stepped off the boat in Egypt, he fell seriously ill and soon died. That's difficult, folks. That was hard for the family. I'm sure that he wasn't exactly happy this was happening to him as well. But understand this. When the world looked at his situation, their, their reaction was, what a waste of a human life. Well, You know, God writes the last chapter, always. We don't. The story goes on to tell us that uh, his life, which was a great inspiration to many, some whom he had personally led to Christ, it challenged many to be a more, de- to a more dedicated Christian life, and many others to surrender service, and some of them followed him into Muslim ministries and were successful. A big issue in my life when I was uh, sitting pretty much where you were, I was at a different college, but... Sitting where you are as a student, I remember the first time I ever heard of the five men who gave their lives in the jungles of Ecuador to reach the Alca. I remembered that so clearly. And I said to myself, I've never heard this story and started reading up on it." My research, as I read these books and articles about these guys, and of course that was firing me up for missions while I was doing it brought me to something I found very interesting. And I think it was the Chicago Tribune that had this as their headline when this news broke in the United States. What a waste! What a waste. I want to suggest to you that God, when he knows that there's someone that he is going to bring to him, he will move heaven and earth to get them into that position where he can speak to them. And if he has to sell your life and my life to do it, he will do it. Remember that. What is a soul worth? It's worth a lot in the eyes of God, and it should be worth a lot in ours. God is not a wasteful God, never wastes anything. I'm afraid if it had been a newspaper reporter present at the crucifixion of Christ, he would have put the exact same thing on his front page. What a waste. This young rabbi who could, who could raise the dead and heal the sick and cleanse the lepers and walk on water and change water to wine, what could he have done for this nation? And now he's hanging on this cross, wasting his life. Do you feel like his life was wasted this morning? Do you? No, you don't, do you? See, you you read the last chapter. Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And so the world would look at Moses and say, What a waste. And they might be saying the same thing about you. Verse 10 goes on to say that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God's assignment just gets harder as it unfolds. You know, it's one thing to go back and face Pharaoh. That's bad enough. But now he gets to lead two and a half million people out of Egypt into the desert of all places. There's no McDonald's, no Tim Hortons. You know, there's no place to sleep. Nothing. Just out into the wilderness. I don't know if you've seen the old movie, The Ten Commandments, with Charlton Heston. When he stands in chains before Pharaoh, Pharaoh says something to him to the effect, he said, are you the deliverer? And Heston, of course, playing the character of Moses, he says, it would take more than a man to free the slaves, it would take a God. Well, he got that right. Moses wasn't going anywhere without God. I seriously doubt that Moses actually heard the words that God said to him previously. He was probably so caught up in the spectacle of the burning bush too busy taking off his shoes because he's on holy ground and he's too awestruck by the voice of God, but he missed verse eight. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land that's uh, into a good land that's flowing with milk and honey. That's what we need today to realize that God's going ahead of us. And if we're going to do the difficult things for God, we must remember and we must understand that it's God who's going to do those things through us. It's God who does the difficult work. Paul, in the first in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, he said, I've planted. That's a good thing. You will plant. He says, Apollos watered. Some of you will water. Somebody will put the seed into the heart before you ever get there, but you'll water. But then he goes on to say this but it's God who gives. The increase. I always marvel at this. I've seen people come out of nowheres into my life to be saved. I didn't start it. Somebody else did. I've seen me sow seed in hearts for months before they finally came to Christ. But it's always God who gives the increase. And Paul repeats that again in verse 7 when he says this, So neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. Students, were only tools. We're only tools in God's hands. The problem for Moses was, if he heard that God was coming down to do the delivering, was that now he finds out that God wants to use him. That can be a frightening thought. I fought it tooth and nail before I wound up going to Bible college. I did not want anything to do with this. I didn't mind being saved, but it was this idea that maybe, just maybe, God was going to put me in a place I did not want to be. That was scary. Difficult to handle. You know, it's okay when the creator of the universe is doing it all. But when he recruits us to do it, that can be a frightening experience. Matthew 28 is a familiar passage to most of you. In verse 20, this is part of the Great Commission, Jesus says this, teaching them to observe all things Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, we miss that promise a lot. God's tapping us on the shoulder and saying, I want you to do this for me. And we're going, I I don't know about this. It's a big world out there, and it's pretty antagonistic. I got a feeling right now what's happened in the United States with this recent vote, particularly in the state of Maine. I think the churches in Maine are headed for real trouble. I believe we've been lied to. I believe there's persecution right around the corner in the United States for the church. I believe it's coming. We're in trouble. But we got him. He's running the show. And we'll continue to minister because he's with us always. You look at verse 11. All of a sudden Moses is now getting a little worried. He objects on the inferiority of his person. He says to God, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know the answer to that question? Moses, you're nobody. You're nothing. Have you ever seen these videos that show us what the, the planet Earth is in terms of the rest of the universe? We're nothing but a dust speck on a little cul-de-sac is, what is it, Lou Giglioli, I think is the way you pronounce that guy's name. He does these great big um, DVD things on screens. We're nothing. We're just a little speck in the universe. That's why the writer could say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? That's a good question. I'll come back to that possibly later in this message. See, without Him, we're nothing. We can witness and preach all we want, but without Him, we are nothing. And right now in our our times, there are preachers who are standing in pulpits and they're preaching something. I don't know what it is. Some message that seems to just tickle their own ears and maybe the ears of their hearers. And they're preaching their hearts out, believing in their hearts that what they're saying is really the truth. But in reality, it is nothing. They are wells without water because they don't use the Word of God. And our churches are loaded with these people. They're laboring without knowing Him. And they're delivering no one. Don't be like them. Jesus said in John fifteen five, He said, For without me you can do nothing. You know, I come up here for a reason. Because I believe right in this room God has the perfect will for every life. And He wants to use every last one of you to deliver souls from the kingdom of darkness. And the sooner we get that truth into our minds and let it plow out in our lives, the sooner God can use us in the difficult things. And so in verse 8, God says, I'm the one who's come down to deliver. But sometimes we're a little slow to grasp who's really doing the work and how powerful he really is. Then Moses goes on to object on the basis of who is sending him. What happens if they don't believe me, he said in chapter 4, verse 1? They're not supposed to believe you. Students, listen to me. It's this they're supposed to believe. It's the voice of the Spirit they're supposed to believe, not what we say necessarily, although, yes, we are the tool. We're the voice. But it's the book. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And if actually all they ever hear is the Word of the preacher, they're not saved. D.L. Moody one time told a story about walking down the street, and he was approached by a drunk And the man said to him, he said, uh, Mr. Moody, I'm one of your converts. (laughs) He didn't mess with Moody. He always seemed to have a comeback. And he said this to the man. He said, well, you must be because you're not a convert of Jesus Christ. Ouch. Moses goes on to object on the basis of his lack of eloquence. In chapter 4 and verse 10, that, that was his argument. You know, some of the best missionaries are not really good speakers. Trust me. I've been in missions conferences now for almost 35 years, if you discount the eight years in New Zealand. And sometimes there we had guys who were not good preachers. And you can sit there and you can say to yourself, oh, man, don't these guys ever shut up? Don't they ever go away? Do you know what? You look at their ministry, they're good missionaries. They're doing a great work for the Lord. They're just not public speakers. Some guys are just better one-on-one. And God's answer to this, and by the way, if you're concerned about your eloquence, just consider this. He said to, to Moses, he said, Who made man's mouth? Who makes people to be dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? You know, the answer to that is I can loosen any tongue I want. Yours included." Then he goes on in verse 12 of chapter 4 to say, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you are to say. You know, it's really humbling to me. God doesn't need me. You know, if God wanted to save people, he could use a simple rock. Not Harry Straub. Remember what, what they said in the triumphant entry? When they said, well, your disciples are making too much noise. Jesus, tell them to be quiet. Jesus said, no. He said, even the rocks would cry out. I can use whatever he wants. But listen to me, students. You have to understand, when God reaches into your life and asks for the difficult, this is an honor. He's asking you to do something very special and very unique with your life. Moses objects on the basis that someone else would be a better choice. This one's my problem. I know a lot of people find it hard to believe, but I'm not really an upfront guy. Now, that might shock a lot of people who have been overseas with me because I have to take the leadership positions that I do. I take them willingly. But I'm not really a great leader. You know, if there's somebody else who would do it, I'll just let them do it. You know, a lot of times I look inside my teams and I find people who are better gifted than I am and say, now, this is the assignment I'm giving you. I'm a delegator. I I don't mind doing that. Yeah, I'll take responsibility where I have to. But it's really not my thing. My wife shocked a bunch of people one time by saying, believe it or not, He's actually basically shy. And every jaw in the room went, <laughs> It's like, we talking about the same guy here? Yeah. He's actually quite shy. So if there's a better choice, I say, hey, let him do it. But God had already chosen his man, so the request is a bit strange. And the NIV, I think, renders the text a little better, where it says, oh, please, send someone else to do it. <laughs> And at this point, God gets angry with Moses. We know that. We've read the book. And I think it's the, because when God asks you to do something for him, it is a great honor. So listen to me this morning. When God calls you to whatever it is he's calling you, don't, as somebody one time said, stoop to do something else. You know, in God's grace, he does, though, grant Moses' request Moses, I got it. You're insecure. I'll get you some help. And you know, down through the years in my ministry, I've had people come alongside of me and they've been a tremendous help to me. Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. Other times it's, we're going with you. We're walking with you. We're in this with you. We're standing by you. We're doing this, we're doing that. Moses might have had a little more personal glory if he'd just gone by himself, but he's going to share the spotlight with his brother. It's just like Barack and Deborah all over again. I actually, I just preached on that a little while back for some men. After being foretold by Deborah the prophetess that he would defeat Sisera, the command of Jabin, the Canaanite king's army, he told her he wouldn't go unless she went with him. And she said, all right, that's the way you want it? She said, let me tell you this, you won't get the ultimate honor out of this. She said, actually, this this general is going to get killed by a woman. Now, ladies, just stay with me for a minute. Don't stone me afterwards, okay? We're, we're talking culture here, okay? Do you know that in those days, for that woman to kill that opposing leader was a slap in the face? It was. was Barak was supposed to be able to put his foot on the neck of this guy and shove a sword either into the back of his neck or in his chest, one or the other. But he couldn't do it. In fact, she used a tent peg. I think he's the only person in history to be killed with a tent peg crazy let me wrap it up with this you're going anyway and you you are going to fight you're going into warfare students you're going into places where it's very dark some of you will be in ministries that will be incredibly difficult never forget who's actually lighting the way so what difficulty is God asking you to do A few years back, I I did three years in a row with teams to Ecuador. And I had a lady in a church that I was ministering in. She walked up to me and she said to me, she said, you know, she said, I'd go with you guys. But she said, I hate flying in planes. I said, hey, you and I must be related. She said, what do you mean? I said, I hate planes too. If I could walk. In fact, I was kidding when I was just in Uruguay about a month or so ago. And, you know, I was kidding. I said, if I could paddle my old town canoe down there, I would do it. Anything not to get in that plane. I hate planes. I got enough miles. Now I've been around the planet over four times. It's crazy. That Sitting in those little seats is annoying, you know? Standing in line is annoying. And then the thing takes off. That's probably when I'm my most spiritual. Oh, Lord, keep this thing up. course the team doesn't know any of this i'm not telling them you know my question though is this what difficulty is god asking you to do it is best to do the will of god in detail the first time he calls is he calling you father this morning help us to be obedient father the truth of all this is this i was a lot like moses i didn't want to go either and then when I look back on it, I can't figure out why I didn't go earlier. Father, it's, it's been tough. Yes, we all admit that. Every ministry has its tough aspects. But there's so many rewards. Help us not to miss those rewards. Father, I pray for these students that you will call them out to the far corners of the earth. Some of these kids and some of these older students may wind up in jungle ministries, inner cities, they may wind up in camp ministries. They may be back here to teach. Whatever it is, Father, we recognize that you want to use each and every one of them. And so, Father, this morning I pray that they would be willing and obedient, recognizing that you are the one who goes before them. That should give us great courage. So, Lord, we ask for a great day in your service. and this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.